Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 15th, 2011. Newcomers, I always suggest at the beginning of the broadcast you should always make use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website where there's hundreds of audios for free download and hopefully you'll get an understanding of this very complex system. It's a kind of magician's act, if you might, you might, you might call it at the top. It would have us all under different illusions. The media keeps us all over the map, the world map, actually, by pointing here, pointing there. It's not a day goes by, they're not pointing somewhere else, but it's seldom at what's happening at home where the real changes are taking place. And that's his job, because they're owned by the same guys that own the banks. And all your media now is routed out through basically two different wire services that I think probably are, are both the one in the first place anyway. Why Why not just amalgamate them like they amalgamate everything else? We're dealing with monopolists, of course, for monopolizing everything that you need to live, all your food, water, uh, and, and resources across the planet. It's all been done, basically. You're watching the last part being mopped up right now. So help yourself to the, the, the website. And remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. You can buy the books and discs I've got at cuttingthroughmeters.com. Uh, and that's how I make uh, enough cash generally to get through month per month because I don't want to go commercial in the sense that I don't want an empire. I don't want to start uh, um, taking on people for work. So therefore, it's an awful lot of work to do yourself seven days a week. And I could certainly churn out the books if I wasn't doing this and make some cash and go off where they, uh, they won't be around for a while. At least the big boys won't be around for a while. They'd actually have a descending order of countries they want to take down. And uh, you might get a few years out of a few of them before they're also under the big, the big uh, shadow of the, the vulture's wing, you might say. Anyway, buy the books and discs. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order from the post office. You can also use PayPal, some send cash, and you you can um, use the donation button to cuttingthroughmates.com. It's all how to do it on the actual website. So please use that. Remember, too, across the world, you have Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome as we go through these inflationary times and everyone's got their hands out for cash, of course, and there's so many toys to buy and all that kind of stuff. But it's up to you because eventually you'll have a monopoly on everything, including uh, alternative broadcasting as well. That's why stations like this are pretty rare. There used to be a lot more of them, and they've all gone down the hill almost uh, because that's the way of the, of the system. And you've got to have different points of view and no real agendas, uh, hopefully, at work, apart from just informing you as to what's really happening behind the news and what's happening that you can add to the news that they're omitting because that's generally what to do. They omit a lot, an awful lot of facts would sway your mind in a different direction if you knew them. That's how you come to your opinions. It's because of the, the, the stuff that they omit generally. 
So I try and go the other route and show you what's missing from all of this and where they're going. The big boys behind it, how long it's been in the planning stages and in implementation stages. And you'll find it's in a very old system with a very old agenda. Nothing happens by chance in this world. If you were left it to politicians, it would take them centuries to blunder through things by themselves. We have a, a ruling elite on the planet who've been around for a while and through their massive money accumulation and power and contracts and the fact that they put politicians basically in. That, that Carl Quigley admitted that in his book Tragedy and Hope and his other one to the American Anglo-American establishment. They put their own boys in politics around the whole planet. Back with more after this break. We're back cutting through the matrix and just trying to basically help people understand this big system they're born into, which everyone takes for granted. Of course, you're born into it. It exists, therefore it must be normal. It's, it's there. That's how we, that's how we take it, accept it so, so easily. And no one's around generally to warn you when you're very young that the world is not as it seems. Nothing really is in this particular system of the world. The world's gone through many different uh, systems, generally all the same system. It's always slavery in one form or another, actually. And some slaves are better paid than others. And in ancient times, it wasn't much different. You could actually buy your freedom if you were a psychopathic slave and served your master well. And you'll find in Rome, if you're around the big, the big mausoleums there and all the graveyards there, you'll find these monuments to people who were big slave traders who started off as slaves themselves. So it's always a, 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 a leg up, basically, if you're a really good, a really good psychopath, you can always get to the top. And that's how the world is. It's never really changed. But the system of chronology has learned from experience that you don't have to beat people into being slaves and guard them all the time. You can actually pay them and then take most of it back from them in money, and they don't object as much. Plus, you don't need all the people to throw rags at them and watch them. They'll buy their own clothes, they'll buy their own vehicle to get to work, and they'll do everything themselves. It's far cheaper that way, more cost-effective. And that's the real system that you live in. doesn't matter what they call it. And... You know, since 9-11, we remember the big speech at 9-11 that says nothing will ever be the same again. And that was that was like nothing will ever be the same for a while. It would have been a lot better, a bit more cheery, but it was nothing will ever be the same again. And they meant that because, you see, the big boys had the plan for a whole hundred years, basically a war, and agendas to carry out within that hundred odd years. And that's what we're living through right now. The complete change of all societies across the globe, the standardization of societies into one system across the world, that's part of it too. Because if in perpetual war, you, you government steps in, and all government agencies, even teachers, get extra authority. They feel the authority. It's like a power they feel. And they're given new curriculum to, to serve the children and new uh, visions of the future, as they call it, and they get right into the acts and take it over. So they train children to grow up into this new system and be international. If they think they're international. It sounds wonderful. It sounds really wonderful. Everything sounds wonderful on paper. It's just we've never had anything actually materialize in practice. Even the communist charter in the Soviet system was a wonderful thing, a wonderful utopia if it actually existed, which, of course, it never did. But you find... Um, 
some of the, some of the truth coming out too, at least little bits and pieces of facts here and there. And this article here is about the militarization of the police. And it says uh, a decade after 9-11, police departments are increasingly militarized. And it starts off with what they used to have as police and what their rights were and how far they could go with things. And then they got into the war on drugs. And then they started to get more and more weaponry and SWAT teams. It goes through the history of it, actually. And then it goes into the kind of militarization as they give more weaponry to the police, not just uh, M16s like they're doing under the, the drug laws, etc. This, this part of this article says terror attacks bring new round of militarization. It says the September 11 attacks provide a new and seemingly urgent justification for further militarization of America's police departments. They need to protect the country from terrorism, they called it. Within months of the attacks... Uh, on the Pentagon and World Trade Center, the Office of National Drug Control Policy began laying the groundwork with a series of ads featured mostly prominently during the 2002 Super Bowl, uh, tying recreational drug use to support for terrorism. Terrorism became the new reason to arm American cops as if they were soldiers, but drug offenders would still be their primary targets. I would disagree with that. I would say that they wanted to militarize the police and the society to an extent in general, and that was part of the reason because they have big riots to come down the road. We all know this. In 2004, for example, law enforcement officials in New York counties of Oswego and Cayuga defended their new SWAT teams as a necessary precaution in a post-September 11th world, a new era, a new time. And it gives you the articles concerning this. But it talks about the the incredible weaponry, all the M16 machine guns, military-grade uh, from the Pentagon transfer program, uh, and then the um, it actually said that in one Florida uh, town, uh, or in, in Florida, it says uh, three stoplights you'll find seven M16s there. In 2006 alone, a Pentagon spokesman told the Worcester, Massachusetts Telegram and Gazette, the Department of Defense distributed vehicles worth 15.4 million dollars, aircraft worth 8.9 million dollars, boats worth 6.7 million, weapons. Uh, worth $1 million and other items worth $110.6 million to local police agencies. In 2007, Clayton County, Georgia, whose sheriff once complained that the drug war was being fought like Vietnam and should instead be fought more like the DD invasion at Normandy, got its own tank through the Pentagon's transfer program. Nearby Cobb County got its, its tank too in 2008. In Richland County, South Carolina, Sheriff Leon Lott procured an M113A1 armored personal carrier in 2008. The vehicle moves on track like uh, tanks, uh, tracks and features a belt-fed turreted machine gun that fires 50 caliber rounds, a type of ammunition so powerful that even the military has restrictions on how it's used in the battlefield. Lot named his vehicle the Peacemaker. Lot is currently being sued for sending a SWAT team crashing into the homes of people who appeared in the same infamous photo that depicted Olympic gold medal swimmer Michael Phelps smoking pot in Richland County. And it goes on and on about all the, the weaponry and so on and so on, what's happening across the whole of the U.S. But you see, it isn't just the U.S. They've done this across the globe. Um, astonishingly, that tells you, you see, they all had an international treaty already signed up that if something was to happen, they'd all jump in with the same Obviously, the same charters of what to do that it all signed prior to that, and that's that's how that's why it happened. That's why it happened across the whole planet. 
All the first world countries were suddenly on board with the same anti-terror laws. Since the DHS grants are typically used to purchase the Linko Bearcat, a modified armoured personal carrier that sells for $200,000 to $300,000, the vehicle has become something of a status symbol in some police departments who often put out press releases with photos of their purchase along with posing police officers clad in camouflage or battle dress uniforms. Nothing having posted a Freedom of Information Act request to the Department of Homeland Security asking just how many grants for vehicles have been given out since September the 11th, how much taxpayers' money has been spent on them, and which police agencies have received them. The senior FOIA program specialist Angela Washington said that this information isn't available. No, of course not. It's classic. They won't tear you, terrify you too much, but one day they'll use them all because as, as we go down economically, and they, with their planned starvation that they keep talking about at the Royal Institute of International Affairs think tanks, they have a big think tank just working, working on the coming food shortages. Go into their website at Chatham House and look at it. And they've been at that for 16 years. 16 years. The coming food crisis. Anyway, it says that Kraska, um, Kraska estimates the total number of SWAT deployments per year in the U.S. may now top 60,000 or more than 160 per day. In 2008, the Maryland legislature passed a law requiring every police department in the state to issue a biannual report on how it uses its SWAT teams. The bill was passed in response to the mistaken and violent SWAT raid on the home of Berwyn Heights, Maryland Mayor Shai Calvo, during which a SWAT team shot and killed his two black labs. The first reports showed an average of 4.5 SWAT raids per day in that state alone. Critics like Joseph McNamara, who serves as a police chief in both San Jose, California, and Kansas City, Missouri, worry that this trend now driven by the war on terror, in addition to the war on drugs, have caused police to lose sight of their role as keepers of the peace. And there's much, much more to it. They go into all the different things that went on since then. Anyway, I'll put this article about cutting through the at the end, and it just gives you some of the statistics on the weaponry that's been dished out uh, since 2001 to do with supposedly the war on terror. And then you went to the start of it all, too, how it came about, and you'll find that um, there's an article here, and it's from the Foreign Affairs magazine from the, from the Council on Foreign Relations. Not they can believe everything they see either, because remember, you look at all the people who work there, and look at their names, look at them carefully, and you'll find out who writes for them. Remember, too, it's just the branch uh, of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, but it's called CFR with the Foreign Affairs magazine they put out. And then there's an outer party and an inner party. The outer party can put the stuff out, but that's really aimed, this kind of stuff is really aimed at the, the, the upper middle classes, the ones who are into high bureaucracies and things, to, to bend their minds. And Quigley talked about this, this system where they would send newspapers for different categories and classes of people and the ones they would actually aim for cities, in fact, who had the highest levels of bureaucrats. Well, this is what the Foreign Affairs magazine is aimed at, the ones who think they're in on it, but they're getting conned again. Anyway, Israel, the neocons and the Arab Spring. It says the crisis in, in relations, uh, Israel's relations with Turkey and Egypt combined with the anniversary of 9-11 casts an interest in light in the question of Israel's relations with the neocons in America. If you remember the time of the invasion of Iraq, one of the most popular conspiracy theories, so he, he uses that first, you see, you know, this, this is by Gideon Rachman. 
and it says, uh, was that U.S. policy was being driven by a cabal of neoconservative thinkers, many of them Jewish, who were accused of acting at the behest of Israel. There's no doubt that many of the neocons were and are strong supporters of Israel. So that was the conspiracy theories given you fact, right? But there were actually always philosophical differences. Or so, okay, so differences here between important neocon thinkers like Robert Kagan and Bill Kristol and the Netanyahu government. Above all, they differed on the desirability of democracy in the Arab world. Well, there was no disagreement at all because it was never intended to give them democracy as you think of it. We, we still dream of it ourselves back in first world countries. We've yet to see it. But anyway, they had no intention of give them, giving them a free reign in, in their own. In fact, Kissinger said that. He wanted to go into those countries, starting with Iraq, and have them warring with factions for maybe 40 years to come, in the same with the rest of the countries. You can't do that under democracy. See, they don't want nationalistic governments. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And actually reading an article, this article is not from the foreign affairs, it's from international affairs. And it says here too uh, that uh, the neocons were all for democratic revolutions across the Arab world. They were doing that with the use of the Air Force and the American military, of course. Believing this to be the long-term route to political stability and prosperity, whereas the Israelis were much more sceptical, fearing that the democratic governments would take a much more populist or maybe just popular line on Israel and endangering key regional relationships with Egypt, Turkey and Saudi Arabia. As a result, the Israelis were notoriously cool about the overthrow of Hosni Mubarak, while neocons like Kagan were all in favour. The people who took the Israeli line on the Arab Spring in Washington were the so-called realists, many of whom were also opposed to the invasion of Iraq. Uh, some of the Israeli fears about what uh, the overthrow of authoritarianism in the Arab world would mean for the Jewish state look reasonable enough at the moment. It will be interesting to see how long the neocons in Washington keep the, the democratic faith. But remember, too, that Rumsfeld congratulated uh, Mr. Obama not too long ago there for carrying on the same agenda of uh, spreading democracy, revolutionary democracy is actually what they called it in the Bush, which meant that they would start the revolutions by the soft power, the color revolutions, and then back it with military, which is what they always do. And that's what you're watching happening right now. Same agenda just goes on and on and on. And I'm also putting a link tonight about Australia and eugenics in Australia. Quite an interesting article. It's called A Theory Out of the Darkness. And it says, uh, uh, Ross Jones has done research on how eugenics was a prime concern of Australian scientists in the 1930s. And they attracted support from a lot of powerful people. And it says, um, he was shocked at what he unearthed. Um, he, he gives you a list of different bigwigs involved and what they thought of the general public and people in general, in fact, that were all beneath them. And the fact that he, he thought they'd have to literally sterilize an awful lot of the population, etc., etc., not just Aborigines, but anyone at all who might become some, a burden on society way down the road. Uh, remember that, too, they, they believed in the same poverty gene as they did in, in the U.S. as well. They actually believe, believe you have a poverty gene if you're poor. And uh, it's quite a good article to read, so I'll put that up, remember, and all these links up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the night. And 
it's interesting, last night I was talking about the morality. See, I'm an, a culture that's immoral uh, not only don't bind together to fight anything, they won't do it. Uh, they can't do it. Um, you've got to have a common, a common uh, ideology, basically, or a common upbringing to you know the basic rules and what you stand for. And that's how you keep peace without police uh, all over the place with M16 machine guns. But from all places, it comes from the, the communists who are still, are still around, and of course in Russia, talking about what to do. It says, media censorship is a cure for immorality, say the communists. And it says, Russia's Communist Party has submitted a bill to the state Duma aimed at creating a Supreme Council on the protection of morality on state TV channels and radio stations. The bill is awaiting consideration by lower house legislators during their last session prior to the December elections. If approved, a specially created body would make appraisals or at least express opinions on the extent in which TV and radio broadcasts promote public morality. One of the authors of the initiative, MP Nina Ostanina, told uh, Aitar Tass. Under communist rule in the USSR, the state controlled all aspects of life, kind of like the day, including arts, literature, cinema, TV, and radio. We've got Hollywood for that. To make sure no wrong anti-Soviet ideas would leak into people's minds. Well, we have the same thing today. It's from the top down. It's called political correctness. We actually borrowed that term from the Russian. The idea currently proposed by the Russian Communist Party 20 years after the fall of the Soviet Union has nothing to do with censorship, they assure. This is not meant as an instrument of censorship, Onstatina said. In contrast to the situation in the Soviet era, the moral assessment would be made after rather than before a TV or radio program went on air. In any case, it would send a signal to conscientious producers of TV programs when broadcasts are unacceptable to public morals, the deputy added. The bill makes no provision for any punishment or sanctions against broadcasters who regularly violate the rules of morality. The council would, however, have the right to appeal to the state leadership and a channel majority shareholders, as well as to urge the public to show its disapproval. And another communist faction deputy, Sergei uh, Obukov, suggested that the watchdog body should have far more extensive powers, including the defining of TV channels program policy. Every channel, if he goes where he should have his specialization and cover particular topics, he said in an interview with Zoliad newspaper. Experts of the Supreme Council would make sure the state channels not only follow their editorial policy, but also that they do not show violence or pornography. You see, they've watched the West plummet. And they knew that too before they were, when they were still the Soviet Union. Uh, Khrushchev said that uh, the West would become decadent and fall uh, and crumble from within without firing a shot. And they knew that because they were watching Hollywood all the time. Too many adverts would also not be welcome. Instead, Russian channels should broadcast educational and cultural programs. And they actually said the television has been turned into a scrap heap. A scrap heap. Uh, Obukov observed the council's task would be to sort out that scrap heap and bring Russian TV up to European standards. Well, I hope they don't bring it up. That's bad enough, European standards. But anyway, I guess they're, they're, they see what's happening uh, with the more advanced countries as the society goes down the tubes. And then you find, uh, of course, this is really something. It's like Australia right now is trying to show how how politically correct it is with with this Gillard and, and power. And she really, really goes to her head, believe you me, because she's, she wants her name going down in history as the first prime minister to bring in the carbon taxes. But now they've got a third sex coming in and you get a passport for third sex, three gender options. Male, female, and X. Back after this. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the matrix and just talking about how politically correct Australia has become. Being PC means you're always in the, in, in the avant-garde of the, of the whole social agenda, the world agenda. And they're going to trade off their carbon credits and, and dish out free ones to big corporations, just like they did in Europe, who will end up getting more millions off them as they trade amongst each other. Quite amazing, isn't it? Like a card game out of nothing, not even any cards to hold. But anyway, back to this transgender thing. And now you've got three options in your passport. This is you can have male, female, and X. The new category is only for intersex people. What's an intersex? It's like an interlane highway. Who are not biologically entirely male or female. Transgendered passport holders who've changed gender but not had surgery. I don't quite get a changed gender but not had surgery. I mean dressed up, I guess. Will be free to choose either male or female, but will not be allowed to select X. And they call it the X factor here. X factor showing travelers can now choose from the three genders in their passports. And previously, travellers were not able to change sex on their passport unless they had surgery. This is still the case in many countries, although any nation under the International Civil Aviation Organization's authority is eligible to introduce Category X. In Britain, people do not have to have an operation to change their passport details as long as they have evidence that they are permanently living in a new gender role. A new gender role. Australian Senator Lewis Pratt whose partner was born female and now lives as a man, said the reform was a major coup for people who have trouble when going abroad because their appearance does not match their gender. She said, X is really quite important because there are people who are indeed genetically ambiguous and were probably arbitrarily assigned as one sex or other at birth, but these are a tiny minority. It's really important to recognize uh, of people's human rights that if they want to have uh, their sex as indeterminate, they can. Indeterminate. That means they haven't made their mind up. Kevin Rudd, Australia's foreign minister, says this amendment makes life easier and significantly reduces the administrative burden for sex and gender diverse people. Sex and gender diverse people who want a passport that reflects their gender. It's, it's, this is how the, the socialist system works. It's, it's all this terminology that was first put out there by Sidney Webb. Sidney Webb and, and, and Beatrice, his wife, were the ones who came up with what they called bureaucraties for the Socialist Party, uh, and uh, this is how they word things, you know, to make them more acceptable in some way. They can't say anything straightforward and short. It's going to be a big, long, drawn-out thing. Peter Hindal, who negotiated with the Australian government and reforms on behalf of human rights advocacy group Agenda, 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 as it's called, Agenda, Agenda, said so the new guidelines were in line with more flexible approaches to gender in U.S. and British passports. It's amazingly positive, he said. It's the biggest single piece of law reform related to transgender and intersex issues at the Commonwealth level ever in this country. He says it's mind-blowing. It's not, no kidding, eh? It's mind-blowing, all right. But anyway, this is the stuff that you're, you're fed uh, because we're supposed to be so concerned as we're all going down the tubes and they, they try to focus in on really small minorities of people. And that takes your mind off things and gets you arguing about other things as well. Well, the big things that you should be arguing about are completely missed. Interesting article, too, on uh, uh, <laughs> this one here. It's about um, 
It's a spy, it's a spy thing actually, quick comedy. It says, it's actually called a comedy, spy comedy. A CIA is really, uh, together they, they funded a group created, they created phony terror websites and then Germans bust them because the Germans thought that they were Al Qaeda. So they, there's a CIA in Israel working together. I told it all in it together. And, and then the Germans bust them as Al Qaeda. As a group hired by the FBI to create phony intelligence to sell to the U.S. government, arrested by German counter-terrorists as Al-Qaeda cell. Mossad busted in Al-Qaeda's thing, uh, were busted in the same Al-Qaeda's thing. Same group responsible for creating bin Laden videos and tapes taking credit for 9-11. So eight German and Turkish teens and tweens were accused of supporting a terrorist organization because they translated propaganda pamphlets and videos by Al-Qaeda's media service Al-Sahab into German language and published them in a web forum. Their organization was active since 2006, mostly in Germany and Austria, and is known as Global Islamic Media Front. And then it tells you how these, the, the CIA and FBI and, and uh, Israeli intelligence Mossad set up this, these organizations. And they would even give these youngsters cash uh, and show them how to keep their names off the websites and all the, all the usual stuff to put out the propaganda so that the Al-Qaeda would get blamed for it. You see, This is how you do war. You must always muddy uh, your enemy. And if he's not around, you simply create him or say he's there. And yet everyone fighting everyone else. But it's quite a good article. I'll put that up tonight, tonight too. And then, of course, I've mentioned this article before, but this goes further with it. Emails reveal Obama aids fears over loan to solar firm that went bust. The same solar firm were giving a lot of cash to Obama for his election. So officials from the Obama administration Wednesday defended a $528 million loan to a solar panel company that went bankrupt this month. The testimony claimed that the company was a victim of global economic trends, but the federal investment in alternative energy must continue. The Kimmel's Republican and Democrat lawmakers raised questions about the decisions. This is, um, it also came as newly released emails show administration officials were raising doubts about the loan proposal to Solyndra months before it was finalized. The emails released by the House Energy and Commerce Committee show that the relevant credit committee decided not to engage in further discussions with Solyndra in the final days of the, the Bush administration after the change in administration officials restarted the loan review process for Solyndra. The emails show that budget analysis felt rushed by the White House to review the loan guarantee in time for announcement by Vice President Biden in September 2009. Solyndra Inc. was a major presence in Washington and spent millions of dollars on lobbying there. So he's a, a company uh, lobbying the government for cash grants, basically, presence for their alternative energy program. And, um, and then they went bust. I wonder if any money went into it at all. As executives raised thousands of dollars for Obama and Democrats in Congress. The collapse of the Fremont, California-based company, once touted by President Barack Obama, ultimately left taxpayers on the hook for $520 million. Isn't that normal, though? Raising questions if the loan was rushed to accommodate a company event in September 2009 that featured Vice President Joe Biden. Not bad. You lobby the government for presidency taxpayers' money. They all do this, though. That's really what governments are for. You know, they open doors for these top lobbyists. To dish out your cash. And that's a deal. You might, you might, when you receive cash grants from the government or you get big contracts from the government, you've got to get a kickback to the guys who signed it off to you. That's how it's always been. That's how it really works.
So it's always been. And then you find too, in this politically correct uh, regime that we're in, this world regime, that if you go against the, the tide, you're, you're in big trouble from the PC bunch above you. Nobel Prize winning physicist resigns over global warming. And this is Dr. Ivan Gevere, uh, a former professor with uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in, in 1973, winner of the Nobel Prize in Physics, abruptly announced his resignation Tuesday, the, uh, September 13th, for the Premier Physics Society in disgust over its officially stated policy that global warming is occurring. The official position of the American uh, Physical Society, uh, Physics Society says uh, they support the theory that man's actions have exorbitantly led to the warming of the planet through increased emissions of carbon dioxide. But Giever does not agree. And put it bluntly and succinctly in the subject line of his email, which is actually reprinted at the Climate Depot, another paper. I'll put both links up tonight. And actually, you should look at the Climate Depot anyway. It's got all the amazing statements that come out of that terrible man Gore's mouth. It's just, it's very amusing. It's very amusing. Anyway, it's a website devoted to debunking the theory of man-made climate change. This one's from Fox News. It says, I resigned from APS, Gaver wrote. Uh, Gaver was cool to the statement on warming theory, but a line claiming that the evidence is it's actually incontrovertible. That's what really got him. Because, see, no science can be incontrovertible. You must always be able to prove it and prove it by anybody who gets all the evidence and do the same test again and prove all the findings. And if you can't do that, something stinks. And, and it's, no theory, it's no good theory at all. In APS, it's okay to discuss where the mass of the proton changes over time and how a multi-universe behaves. But the evidence of global warming is incontrovertible. He questions, question mark at the end. He wrote an email to Kate Kirby, Executive Officer of the Physics Society. And so the claim is that the temperature has changed from 288 degrees to 288.8 degrees Kelvin in about 150 years, which, if true, means to me that the temperature has been amazingly stable and both human health and happiness have definitely improved in this slightly warming period, his email message said. Because we go up and down all the time, right? A spokesman for the APS confirmed to Fox News that the Nobel laureate had declined to pay his annual dues in the society and had resigned. He also noted that the society had no plans to revise its statement. You see, it's a must-be. It's what you call a must-be, like the war must be a must-be a war across the world. Uh, just like the New American Sanctuary Group has continued with the, with, with the neo-libs and the neo-dems. It's the same thing. Same bunch behind them. The use of the word incontrovertible uh, has all caused debate within the group, so much so that an addendum was added to the statement discussing its use in April 2010. It says that this word is rarely used in science because of, by its very nature, science questions prevailing ideas. You must always question uh, your, your, your findings over and over. Even when it becomes the status quo, you must still question it because you might be wrong uh, and you must be willing to accept that. And as I say, I'll put up the link to, to the, the, the uh, Climate Depot because it's, it's absolutely funny to, to read through it and the, the statements have been made by top people and especially Al Gore, etc. And lots of information too. And there's thousands of scientists come out against this. But it doesn't matter. It's the PC group that must go along and they'll get well paid for doing so. And that's the way the world's to go. It's a control mechanism. It's nothing to do with warming. It's nothing to do with warming. It's a, it's a, a policy 
of bringing us into austerity and for total control of government, right down to whether you can light a fire in your fireplace to heat yourself and stop you from freezing to death in the winter, things like that, you see. That's what it's all about. And this is as good a theory as any to use, you see. That's how it works. Now, you probably all heard about the, the slave trade in Britain. Yeah, yeah, Britain. And because of this wonderful, uh, basically multicultural thing all from across Europe, because they can all go to Britain for the welfare and so on, uh, they've got slavery there now. And James Dellingpole talked about it. Travelers, slaves, Vanessa Redgrave can surely explain. She always stands up for the far left. She was even standing up for Blake the spy in the 60s who was caught spying inside Britain. It says, uh, let's get one thing absolutely clear about the slaves who have been discovered by police imprisoned at a traveller's site, that's Gypsy, and Bedfordshire must not be quick to judge. Which of us can say, hand on heart, that we've not at some time in our lives felt the urge to kidnap one or two stray migrant workers or alcoholics, shave their heads, steal their mobile phones, keep them in a shed or a dog kennel at the bottom of our gardens, and force them to perform menial tasks for starvation rations and no money, beating them if they feel to measure up or try to escape. And even those of us who have actually acted on this urge ought to surely be aware that within certain communities, special exemptions must be made. For example, your eye thinks a bit off murdering your sister, daughter or niece for failing to marry her first cousin and running off with someone she loves instead, or to have your daughter circumcised so that she's unable to experience any filthy sexual pleasure in her marital relations. But what must we learn to understand is that different cultures have different traditions. He's, he's doing a mockery of, of the PC crew, uh, crowd. We should understand honour killings and female circumcision as part of the melting pot of colourful cultural customs which have helped make modern Britain so vibrant and diverse. And of course, we should extend similar tolerance and understanding to the free spirits of the traveller community as they roam the land in search of new spots to concrete over and of course enhance with their charming eccentric customs. As I'm sure United Nations Ambassadress Vanessa Redgrave will be the first to point out when she appears on her inevitable visit to the Greenacre Traveller site. It is wrong, quite wrong, to condemn travellers for allegedly keeping slaves. After all, the Romans did it, and we think they're civilised. And lots of US Southerners did it right up until the mid-1860s, and we can think of them as gentlemen. That's why we should congratulate the police for their sympathetic, softly, softly approach to the problem. If you think it is a problem, which problem makes you a racist? Because as travellers, they have racial status, don't they? Check it out next time you have to fill in a census form. It seems they have been aware for quite some time of this quaint slavery custom. It's true that the police knew about it for years and did nothing about it because they were scared because of being politically correct. That's how bad things get, you see, when you bring in political correctness. It's just like the, so- the old Soviet, you know, only worse. O- only worse. It really is. And then in another article on the BBC, they go into some of the things that happened. 24 men suspected of being held against their will were found during a raid at a traveller's site. Four men and women were arrested on suspicion of committing slavery offences in the raid at Greenacre Traveller's Site. Uh, the men who are English, Polish and Romanian were found in filthy and cramped conditions, police said. Detectives believe uh, some may have been there for 15 years. 15 years! They were told they could not leave and if they did, they would be beaten up and attacked. Uh, those arrested have been held on suspicion of committing offences under the Slavery and Servitude Act of 2010. They're being held at police stations across Bedford and Herefordshire. Weapons, drugs and money were also found at the site, police said. 
more than 200 officers were involved in the raids. And these people were kept in shockingly filthy conditions. The men, all believed to have been victims of slavery, were taken initially to an undisclosed medical center for treatment. And it shows you that the shed, one of the sheds, some of them were kept in. They were placed in the care of the local authority. And when the detective says, the men we found at the site were in a poor state of physical health, and the conditions they lived in were shockingly filthy and cramped. They were there for 15 years, some of them. Here, the men appeared to have been recruited from soup kitchens. They went around the soup kitchens to grab the down and outs. And benefits offices included people with problems such as alcoholism. He said, they're recruited and told, if you come here, we'll pay you £80 a day. We'll look after you and give you board and lodging. But when they get here, their hair is cut off them. They're kept in some cases in horse boxes and dog kennels and old caravans and made to work for no money, given very, very small amounts of food. Maybe it's an experiment for the New World Order to see how we'll all be, if we could all put up with this kind of stuff. Maybe you give us a TV and an iPod, would be okay. That's the worst case. Some are treated a little better, but they were told they could not leave, and if they did, they would be beaten up and attacked. And apparently it's been going on, the cops knew about it back in 2008, and it's only now they've made the movements because it's so, again, it's so politically correct not to go into this kind of thing as cultures and, you know, special special, you know, status and all that stuff. And I also want to talk about uh, the police. Uh, the police, it says in Britain, because it dropped the IQ level for the British police too, just like America and elsewhere. They don't want intelligent police in this day and age because they'll have to become utter brutes eventually when down the road they bring in food riots and things like that, which are obviously going to happen. But some police officers are barely literate because the entry standards are so low. I'll read this article when I come back. Hi folks, we're back and uh, I'll take, actually there's Sam from Toronto hanging on the line there. I'll see if Sam's still there. Are you there, Sam? Yes, Alan, uh, I'm still here. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to talk about, uh, actually or ask you, um, uh, what you, or, or how, how much do you know of a lady called Alice Bailey? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I know about Alice Bailey and and the Theosophist Society, Theosophical Society, yeah. Exactly. Now, they're pretty much tied in or or are exactly the same people as, uh, as I guess, the, the creators of the New World Order? Uh, they're actually tied in. They're tied in. There was, they all had the ABs or, or HPB. I'm going to say HP. That's a sauce. But uh, they, you had Helena Blavatsky. That's an HB. And then you had Alice Bailey. And uh, then there was uh, Annie Besant as well. And they all belonged to the Fabian Society as well and helped to get the, the, the feminist moving, move on, on the go. That was part of their job for international socialism. Yeah. Exactly. Now, uh, one of her works called The Externalization of the Hierarchy yeah. basically talks about this coming new age and yeah. where the Masonic um, symbolism, the occult, the esoteric symbols and gods and dogma will will be externalized into mm-hmm. the general population. And uh, funny how 
No, if if you like a basically that's a, a channel like MTV. Mm-hmm. All you see is basically Illuminati or or Masonic symbolism with the Eye of Horus or the checkered boards. I see it happening right now. What she talked about how this religion is being externalized yeah. into the population, and I believe this this new this next generation are going to be what they talked about how they're going to be the in, well I guess the enlightened, but you know we all know it's not going to be enlightened at all. It's uh, they'll be basically super controlled and uh, mindless zombies they'll think they're, they're living in a utopia but basically forget about all of the old world religions uh, and uh, basically that, that's the kind of world they have in store for us and i see it unfolding right in our front of our eyes and it's probably a year or two years away yeah that's right that's why they've been building up chaos in society you always build up chaos before you bring out the order the new order and that's what you're going through is the chaotic part but it's, it's and you also see the, the externalization coming in as you live through it too and you remember too that socialism the fabian society and the founding members you'll see them hammering the world into shape with an anvil on their stained glass window and the founding members actually said that they would exterminate a good part of the population as unfit to live basically as part of socialism people think it's it's all it's welfare checks no no true socialism is if you can't work you you don't stay alive they will not keep you hanging on there because you're weak or ill or whatever and um, in fact some of the members wanted to gas the unfit uh, and that was as early as 1920s so You'd be surprised what they're really, really into. Remember, too, that the Scottish writer Freemasonry's magazine uh, up until the 50s, into the 50s, maybe even the 60s, was called The New Age. And that was the title of it. And so they've been promoting this whole new system for a long time, and they have radically transformed society by knocking down what they called the old gods, uh, so that the true... Uh, actually, they called it Lucifer, believe it or not. This is, this is, this is a, a multi-billion dollar organization uh, that was funded by the Astor family, um, bringing in this new age uh, scenario, talking about Lucifer, the, the light bringer, you know, the one that's PC correct and all that, the one that knows how the world should be run. But you're quite right. Thanks for calling. Thank you uh, remember much, too, uh, Thank you, too. Thank you, too. You can buy the books and discs and, and certainly donate through PayPal and help me out. From Hamish Monsieur from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God, your God, go with you.